We've learned that quiet isn't always peace. Leaders of the world, you must lead. The continuation of our civilizations is in your hands. And to the children of our country, regardless of your gender, dream with ambition, lead with conviction. The world is waking up and change is coming whether you like it or not. The second female prime minister, but certainly not the last. The march towards freedom and justice is irreversible. You're listening to Humble Pie, the podcast about humble leadership. Welcome back, everyone. I am Sarah Collins, and this is season two of Humble Pie. I also welcome uh, not just 2021, but also my co-host, Harriet Courage. Hello. Hey, Haz, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm well, you know, as well as you can be in uh, the midst of a, another lockdown. So why don't we quickly skip on to talking about what we've got coming up on today's show. First of all, we're going to kick off with a bit about our humble selves. Then we've got our humble guest, um, who we always ask the question about a time when they've had to eat humble pie. So really looking forward to hearing about a little bit more about who our guest is um, and what they've got to say about leadership. And then our humble review. So this is something you can read, watch, listen to, um, to get you inspired um, about leadership. Well, that sounds cracking to me. Um, so what's up first? I know that you've got a burning desire to talk about something. Um, I do. So hit, hit me with it. There's always a question that you ask me that I don't know the answer to. So I'm fully expecting this to be yet another one of those. <laughs> I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about this, because one of the things I've been thinking about since we've, you know, the, it's been a turbulent start to the year. And I suppose one of the things that is certainly in the back of my mind, and I'm sure in the back of a lot of people's mind as well, is that there's kind of like this anticipation of, are we going to get back to normal, like come the summer? You know, is it actually, is there light at the end of the tunnel? And my question for you is, in six months time, say, let's just be hypothetical, because we know that anything can happen as 2020 proved, and the team is fully back together under the same roof, how do you think everybody's going to fare changing from this fully working from home environment to all being back in a noisy, crowded office again? And, you know, is there anything you think we can do to prepare for that? That is such a big question. Thank you so much. I mean, the first thing I would say is that I think we've all been used to being in our own environment, haven't we? So um, everybody's used to being at home. They're used to being super comfortable. They're used to probably not wearing any trousers on a Zoom call or, you know, like me, basically constantly wearing tracksuit bottoms. So like everything below the waist you can't see. And just going back into an environment that is noisy and busy and 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 full of people will be um i think quite strange initially at least but i also think that people will be really excited to go back um initially into something that feels a little bit more social and i think that that will kind of have an impact in the short term in terms of everybody's well-being and people will start to feel a little bit more enthusiastic i suppose and excited about what's to come but i also do think that people probably have considered the way that they're working during the past year and hopefully realized some things about themselves in terms of how they work best and the type of environment that they need and what might be the right blend in terms of working from home and working in the office. Um, And I certainly don't expect to go back into the office and find 
you know, 15 expectant faces sitting there staring back at me. I think that things will be uh, very different and people will start to take a little bit more ownership and control of of how and where they work. Mm. Do you think that workload, because I, I think that this lockdown because there is you know there's no commute there's no like I know we all encourage everyone to you know take a proper lunch break and all of that kind of stuff but really like you can just log on at 8 30 in the morning and then just keep working back to back zooms like all of these types of stuff actually physically getting up and going into the office physically stopping and having a coffee with your mates like physically doing all that stuff I think will eat into that time that we've been so used to just filling with more work and stuff like that and it's like how you get that balance of like transitioning back to allowing yourself a bit of a social life again Uh, absolutely I think that's true and I think that everyone will go through the different stages of coping with change right so Mm. it's I think we've all become we've all adapted now haven't we we've all it's been such a long time that we have now kind of gone into this state of, of being in a completely different environment so it will feel like a big change going back to more of a kind of office environment and I think the initial shock and almost kind of disorientation that people will experience will, will definitely be there, um, as well as that kind of elation and that emotional experience of just being surrounded by people, particularly for mm-hmm. people who are type A personality, maybe people who have enjoyed the peace and quiet enormously would not enjoy that quite so much. But then I think it's just a case of kind of coming to terms with what that, you know, for want of a better phrase, the new normal actually is, mm. so that we can I- accept how how things have changed and then kind of move into a different phase rather than kind of going back to what it was before. I definitely think that it will be an adjustment. And I think I definitely plan to work differently after all of this is over as well. I was always definitely an office first kind of person. I liked being in, I liked being surrounded by the team, not just because it was fun, although that was important, but, you know, because I felt like it was good for collaboration as well and information sharing. But we've, we've managed to find other ways of doing that now. And we've showed that it's possible to preserve creativity um, which is obviously really important to us and actually to see it kind of flourish during a remote working situation so I definitely don't see myself being in the office as much as I would before yeah I was always yeah office first like I just want to be in the office like you like I want to be around people I want to talk to people collaboration is super important like I I honestly felt like before lockdown I wouldn't have been able to do my job properly working from home full time. Mm. But when you're forced into those situations, you realize, well, of course you can. And what I, and I suppose why this question was on my mind today is because even though we've got probably months to prepare for it, like I kind of don't really know how it's going to affect me. Like we got given a survey thing to fill out the other day and It was like, how many days do you plan on working from home? Like if we go back into an office environment or something. And I was like, I have no idea. (laughs) I was like, I don't know. At the moment, I'm like, I'm never going back because I'm never going to be able to get through all my work. And like, I just feel really focused and on it when I'm at home. And like, I've got this really good routine going on. And then I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to go into the office and everything's going to change. And Oh, everyone's going to talk to me and I'm not gonna, I'm not going to have time to do anything which I know is ridiculous but like I definitely am anticipating what that balance is going to be like but I think that's what we all need to be aware of and reflect on I think it, you know spending a little bit of time thinking about how productive we've been over the course of the past year what the 
the the kind of upsides of working from home have been and then to try and preserve those pieces within this kind of new environment I think will be really really helpful Mm. you know personally from a kind of productivity perspective but then also to communicate your preferred new way of working with everybody else because I mean we work in an environment where people can take ownership of the way that they work right and and where they work I think beforehand it just defaulted to the office because that's where people wanted to be. But now it will be a little bit different and it will be just about coming back and communicating with people about how you do want to work best. Because I think that the one thing that has pulled people together during this time is that it is a shared experience and we've all been forced into the same situation. Whereas when we go back, there will be people who want to go completely back to normal inverted commas. um, And there will be people who want to do something in between. And I think that's where the difficulty will be in terms of that adjustment process uh, and figuring out how different individuals on the team want to work in future. I think that's going to be the thing that's really interesting to see how, how that works and making sure that we can, transition seamlessly to an environment where some people are working at home some people are working in the office and and some people Mm. are in between I really hope that in six months time we're having a conversation about how it is being back together yeah me too hopefully yeah and we'll all be vaccinated and uh (laughs) ready to take on the world Next, we have our humble guest. We are joined by Rob Baker. Rob is the founder of Positive Psychology, Wellbeing and HR Consultancy, Tailored Thinking. Rob, thanks for joining us. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Sarah, for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm hoping that you're going to expand our minds and uh, give us some positive inspiration to take into our working week. I hope that I haven't set the bar too <laughs> well, I'll do my best. I'll try, I suppose, in terms of, in terms of sharing some ideas and to bring, infuse a bit of positivity um, and certainly hopefully provoke some some thinking um, about how we do our work and whether there's ways of doing it better fantastic well I would love this to be a positive conversation I'm sure that there are lots of people out there in in need of a distraction from the bleak reality that we often find ourselves in at the moment um, I think we all need that absolutely Sarah. <laughs> absolutely so first question tell us what you mean by positive deviant and uh, why do you think that they're important in the workplace yeah, sure. So my my kind of title I gave myself was a with a business was Chief Positive Deviant, and I came across the idea of positive deviancy through uh, my studies and research in positive psychology. So I've kind of trained in this field, and positive deviancy is used to describe kind of two factors. So one, maybe in terms of different distinctive behaviour that leads to kind of positive outcomes, and secondly, in terms of performance. So in terms of organisations or teams or individuals that are kind of performing differently or deviantly from other people so they're outside of the norm and exploring and understanding why that is and how others can learn from that so when I say I'm a positive chief positive deviant is that I want to encourage uh, people and organizations and teams to think and act differently in an evidence-based way to um, lead to better performance for them their teams and their colleagues well it sounds obviously incredibly simple (laughs) Um, but uh, super super interesting and Obviously, kind of on a serious note, the thing that you talk about in the book and this idea of job crafting. Now, I have a pretty rudimentary understanding of um, what I thought was called job design. Is it the same thing? And if not, why is job crafting so important? Job design itself is something that's often done top down. So again, if we think about positively deviantly, thinking differently, most organizations will think about job design or actually most organizations don't think about job design full stop anymore we kind of forget about it we just we think we're good at designing jobs or giving jobs to people we just fill fill these up with with kind of lots of duties to do Mm. and we give give these to people so we're going to box them in a little bit and job crafting is actually saying rather than necessarily giving that person a kind of a, a predefined box of duties and tasks to do 
is allowing that person to personalize and change and adapt to the way they approach their work in ever so small and subtle ways so they've got a sense of their own personal strengths their passions their interests in what, in what they do it's not fundamentally meaning they're kind of radically ripping up their job descriptions or doing something completely different but it's how they can bring themselves into their, their work on a day-to-day basis and that's what a lot of people i think often feel they're missing is the fact they're being asked to act in a certain way they have to wear certain masks or they have to, mm. to, to hide parts of themselves. And yet the research and my practice shows that actually if you unlock that and allow people to be who they want to be and use their talents and bring their ideas to the fore, then not only do they feel and perform better, but it leads to, to benefits for the organisation as well. That's really interesting then. So you think that that kind of incongruence between what somebody's natural gifts are, I suppose, and natural talents versus how they are required to behave with the role that they have or the role that they've been given is actually kind of causing tension and is leading to sort of lower engagement. Is that right? Because I know that you, you did cite some research in the book about, you know, four fifths of us, I think, are feeling disengaged at work and not especially happy or not thriving in the role and do you think that's one of the fundamental reasons yeah well absolutely so i think if you unfortunately if you were to and kind of get, gather in lots of different ways so it could be formal research studies that show the majority of people in the workplace aren't fully engaged and energized and excited by their work if you were to just google and type in my job is into google at the moment the top hits are that I did this yesterday or something is my job is killing me. I my job is boring. And mm. um, these are kind of these are the searches. We just know that for a lot of people there's not as engaging as they possibly can. And I think part of this is that people feel that they've got to work as a chore. It's something they've got they've got to do. They they can't find energy um and excitement yeah. in terms of what they do. And yet we know that if we create opportunities for people to personalize how they do their job, bring a bit of themselves in terms of what they're doing, it's not fundamentally changing the job. So we're not, you know, we can't necessarily turn a job or tasks that are fundamentally boring into ones that are super, super exciting overnight. But by allowing people to bring some of themselves into what they do, mm-hmm. then they tend to feel more engaged, more buy-in, more engagement in terms of what they do. If you think about it, the way I often challenge people on this a little bit is around, if you think about our the world that we live in, we can personalize pretty much every and any aspect of our lives, our cars, our clothes, our holidays, our cups of coffee, you name it. And the reason we're able to kind of personalize this is because manufacturers know that actually we're more willing to pay for something, we value something more if we've personalized it to be a better fit to reflect who we are as individuals, our taste yeah. and our preferences. So we kind of value that and we're recognizing it everywhere that we do in all aspects of our lives. Yet when it comes to workplaces, our thinking is still very much actually we're just going to we think we know best and we'll give you what you need why is that why are we still stuck in this sort of henry ford the only car you can have is black type thing what is it about work that has just left us so far behind i don't know entirely but i'll give you some thoughts in terms of a couple of things that i think are going to lead into this so one is that there's a lot of comfort the leaders have in terms of the fact that they know what's best so in terms of a lot of people are trained and educated in that way and you get promotion by having the best idea so the idea generally is that the higher up the organization the better idea you have and the more you can cascade that organization down and that's how people have been educated and trained through mbas and through most organizations so that element of control from an organizational perspective it does work to a certain extent so in terms of it allows you to work efficiently but there comes a cost to that so the issue is that it works maybe from a um, an output perspective for an organization in terms of in terms of particularly around the short term in terms of deliveries and it's controllable but what it does at the same time is it creates cost in terms of people not enjoying their job not bringing their best ideas so there's kind of untapped potential that you're missing out of that people haven't necessarily cared about in the past or explored and it's only maybe recently when we're we're becoming more aware of issues such as employee engagement and happiness and the power of this 
that we're actually realizing that our old ways of working are leaving this on the shop floor, as it were, we're not tapping into it. So I think part of it is around education. So in terms of that's one second, another point is around just wanting more of a control over what's happening and the concern that if you actually allow people to kind of personalize what they're doing or think differently about work, that you don't know what's going to happen, that people get distracted, that it won't lead to positive outcomes. And I think thirdly, there's just a, a more of an interest in an awareness of the relationship between engagement satisfaction happiness and performance so previously maybe that that there wasn't such an understanding between those two aspects but yet we know that that is definitely the case now yeah obviously one of the core business functions that you must spend a lot of time talking about and working with is hr if you read any hr publication you will obviously find all of those words being used well-being engagement you know strategic value that hr can be delivering for the business but i suppose a typical perception of hr department is one of sort of process and control and i suppose rigidity rather than that flexibility that you're talking about with job crafting isn't hr just part of the problem here that's a good, good, good question i think i think one thing that's really fascinating about hr as a profession is that there's no one way of doing it so if you're an accountant say there's a lot of and you go to a different or finance firm there is the way people do it there are slight variations but there's kind of core fundamentals to that whereas in hr different organizations have very different approaches to what they want from hr what hr looks and feels like and some of that's driven by the hr leaders themselves and some of it's in response to what the organization's saying they want from that function the way that I kind of now see HR being is around actually one of enablement. So actually, if you think about the, pur- the purpose of human resources or people function is to enable individuals, teams and the organization itself to perform at its best, then I think that HR isn't around boxing people in, in terms of control and process in the way that you've described it, is actually a way of finding ways to unlocking that. And it may be that, that we need to call that function something else or not, I don't know, but my, my fundamental belief and how I approach HR and how I've always seen HR and of my interest in the profession has been enabling people to perform at their best in their jobs and setting people up to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and putting in potentially checks and balances as well to kind of make it a safe work environment for other people and responding positively when there's failures. But ultimately, again, this is a positive deviant approach. We spend a lot of time in HR and other functions designing processes and designing things for things that are going to go wrong rather than necessarily thinking about creating positive outcomes for people. So Mm -hmm. a lot of organizations will have a bullying and harassment policy, and that's a very negatively framed way of dealing with a problem. So if you think about a bullying and harassment policy, what you're trying to eradicate is bullying and harassment. So if you eradicate that, if you think bullying and harassment on a scale of one to 10 is terrible, so it's like, I don't know, minus eight or something, you eradicate bullying and harassment and you get back to zero. So that's great. You've got no bullying and harassment. But the way that I'm interested in saying, why don't you think about framing this as creating positive collegiality and, and community and belonging with an organization mm. and that's what you should be aiming for and focusing on creating and absolutely if you focus your entire energy on that perspective everyone can benefit from that and if people are f- falling foul of that you can deal with it but rather than just focusing on the problem you should be focusing on actually what's the positive outcome you're trying to achieve similarly with performance management again most people talk about performance management you have one line as a process saying we want everyone to perform well and this is and then you and the next 10 pages are about what you do to when someone's not performing well and yet, actually, the majority of people in the organization will be performing well or exceptionally well. And but we don't necessarily have policies or processes or understanding about how we can continue to encourage and enable those people to perform well. We focus our time and energy as an HR function in the past, or some do, around supporting people to develop that underperformance as well. Again, we need to change our shift our perceptions, our focus, I think, within organizations between 
creating positive outcomes and building on strengths and thinking about where we want to achieve and where we want to go in the future Mm. rather than just thinking about remedially dealing with problems and kind of weeding those out. Do you think that part of the challenge I suppose that organisations face, particularly large organisations, is that this stuff just isn't a priority? You tend to sort of find that board level conversations are dominated by you know the obvious things um profit and revenue and growth and you know product development that sort of thing and actually employee engagement still falls quite far down that list and that you know hr doesn't often have a seat at the table do you think that in light of the pandemic and obviously everything that's going on that this employee engagement and wellness is going to fall even further down that list or do you think that you're starting to see companies looking at this as a really core part of their growth and kind of future proofing the organization Fundamentally, you've got to ask yourself a question. Do you believe that the people in the organ- in your organisation are critical to your success? And some people will say, most people will say, yes, of course they are, but not everyone necessarily truly believes that. Mm-hmm. If you truly believe that actually enabling people to perform at their best in your organisation is critical to your success and all the outcomes that you mentioned in terms of product development and output and, and profits, you know, segments, if you believe that's the case, then there is the opportunity to think about, think differently in terms of how you enable and motivate individuals. Mm. If as a board, as a leadership team, fundamentally, you yeah, you, you say you recognise your people, but ultimately you don't believe that that's the case. Actually, you're, you feel that you can control those individuals, that they are a resource, they are an input in terms of your success. And that that is it then probably you're not going to create ways of um, the ideas that I want to share are going to make a difference to you as an organization. You'll find ways to kind of inhibit them and people will will understand culturally that you don't believe in them. So I think those organizations that believe that actually people are fundamental to their success are then realizing that there's compelling research now that shows that link between well-being and success in terms of happiness and success in terms of engagement and success and ideation and creativity and i think that's something that the, we mm. need to look at and you've you mentioned about a seat on the board for for hr the people professions and i think there is a number of things that that we are needing to kind of deal with kind of in the current climate in the future that are going to involve um, key decisions involving people so not only in the current climate in terms of how and where and when and why we work um, which I think is fundamental something we need to be thinking about and I think at the moment we're spending a lot of time thinking about where we're working and I, w- I wish we'd shift the conversations about what was why and how and what we're doing so kind of actually thinking about the kind of the purpose and value and of how we're doing it and whether we can do that differently but also in terms of, say, technology and AI, in terms of there's opportunities to to use technology in different fields to enrich jobs, to actually allow people to bring the things that they're good at in terms of creativity, in terms of design, innovation, to do more of that and maybe weed out some of the administrative tasks and burdens that we have. And I think more and more we're going to recognise in the next two to three to five years of how to do that, to use that technology. But in the same way, technology can be used to actually kind of box people in even more in terms of actually take some of the human nature out of some of the work that we do as well so I think that's another key point mm. that we need to think about in terms of the HR um, or the people function and the the role that we can have in terms of supporting supporting boards there's lots of exciting and important issues that organizations are having to consider and I'd say that people are at the heart of a lot of those those issues I think people are starting to reevaluate what success looks like from a from a business perspective um, and from an economic perspective there are examples of you know countries around the world that are looking at these things slightly differently and are prioritizing well-being amongst the population as part of what good looks like rather than looking at GDP you know so this idea of kind of moving away from shareholder to stakeholder value seems to be something that I'm I'm hearing a lot about but I think there are a lot of these you know, concepts and ideas are quite, I suppose, ethereal to people, um, particularly for, for people in organisations that are, 
you know, I've got 30 people to manage um, and I need each one of them to be doing these different activities. Are, are there any kind of tangible kind of examples perhaps that you could give to help us sort of understand exactly how this might work in practice? You know, how might you suggest it, it actually works and how could people start to think about rolling this out? It's kind of really simple as an idea, but sometimes people struggle with it as in terms of how to action it. And I think that's a challenge for most organisations. And I, I'm still fine. There's again, not there's no one size fits all about it, but there's three different ways that people tend to to, to do this. And I can share some examples for, for you but fundamentally in terms of personalization and job crafting what you're doing is encouraging people to think about how they can make their job better and you're creating the space mm-hmm. and the encouragement for them to do it so the way that I often can do this with with individuals is through say you can do run workshops where you basically encourage people to understand what would how they do their job currently what are the things they love and they loathe about it and and what ideas they'd have to make some small changes and often when I'm talking about these changes I'm getting people to think about something they can do in five or ten minutes a day so in terms of it's kind of really really small stuff but the smaller you start the more sustainable it's likely to be in the in the long term so and I've, I've collected thousands of these different kind of ideas so so there's there's lots of them but for example recently I, I did a session with a group and they were talking about one of the things they wanted to do improve in their job is activity so in terms of actually in connection with other people that was something that was missing from them. they're working from home and they'd previously started doing walking meetings with people and they're like well now we can't do walking meetings because we can't do this and they're like well one of the ideas they came from and it has to come from the individuals for me in terms of these 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 ideas we're saying well, why don't we just put on some headphones and put our phones on and just go for a walk around the block so we're not walking together but we're mutually going for a walk and it was kind of playful it was fun it was easy and not only was that person kind of having that connection with people they were getting break in the fresh air which is what they wanted from a well-being perspective but they found they were more be more creative and and so that was kind of win for them it was win for the, the partner they were doing and it was just a small experimental idea so what i encourage the first idea is just to get people to think about what's a small experiment you could make that's going to that's going to improve your job shift the dial a little bit so either dial something up that you want to do or dial something down that you don't like doing so that's number one number two is through through team team workshops so effectively get people to team craft and often i get people to think about what are the tasks and attributes that we have to do as a team that we love and loathe it kind of individually and you might find that some people love doing certain things that you hate doing and and maybe you can swap some elements of this or reallocate and redistribute that we we often get hung up on fairness and the equity and everyone should do exactly the same things in the same ways. Yet that's, you know, there's, there's no reason for, for, for doing that necessarily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we recently did some work with um, a marketing team and someone was saying actually what they love doing in the social media. Everyone had to do social media posts and tweets. And some of them were saying, actually, I love doing, think about the imagery side of this. Other people were saying they love doing the wording of the, the tweets or the blogs. And others were saying they like doing the, the strategy in terms of thinking about how these land yeah. in different rules. and everyone was doing a bit of everything and it was important that everyone knew fundamentally how to do the different elements but what they found for these discussions was saying actually it'd be great if this person could have spent more time doing focusing on doing the tweets and this person spent more of their time doing the strategy and they're both you know within their team very happy to kind of reallocate their work in that way and it wasn't saying i'm not going to do this i'm stopping doing this it was just saying actually why don't you do a bit more of this than me and coming together as a team to explore those those issues and sometimes very often when you come together to explore the issues you love and don't like there'll be some tasks that everyone uniformly hates doing and it's like well why can't we just either stop doing them or just redesign those tasks or or maybe we have to suck it up but but it's just a case of there's, there's so many things that we just do out of habit without testing whether we, we do them. So that's idea number two. And then idea number three is through kind of check-ins and discussions. So 
one of the things that the, some of the organizations that I've um, worked with, and so Connect Health is one that I've done recently, we won an award with the um, CIPD, HR Consultancy of the Year, based on a project we did with Connect Health. And they introduced job crafting discussions on a quarterly basis. So each quarter, they had a themed discussion, a kind of coaching-based discussion between their team leader and a colleague around a different job crafting theme. And job crafting can be done in lots of different ways, but tends to be one of five ways. So it might be related to tasks. It might be related to relationships. It might be related to the purpose and value of the work that someone does. It might be related to um, well-being and it might be related to skills. So in terms of developing skills mm-hmm. growth as an individual. So each month, so each quarter they have a different theme. So it could be um, well-being could be a theme for one discussion. It's saying, what could you do to, to make your job healthier? Or how, how do you currently find how your job um, impacts on your your well-being and have an open discussion about it and from these a series of questions and activities that we were designed for them to do in a playful engaging way with their manager then thinking about what some actions and explorations people could could take as a consequence of it and we found with with connect we talked about the bottom line and the kind of impact of it they had significant impact on um attraction levels and in terms of um, retention levels and also in terms of answers to things such as and um, we had a 15% increase in terms of um, connecting, saying, how much do you care about me as an individual and the job that I do? And kind of 10, um, 10 digit, sorry, two digit um, increases in terms of people's satisfaction and engagement. And it's just simply having, creating the space and the opportunity to have these kind of conversations and doing it in an evidence-based kind of clear format way. And that's where I can add the value. But ultimately it's, it's down to the individual and the manager having an open conversation about doing their work better. And it's funny, isn't it? I suppose all of this starts with a conversation. All of it starts with almost giving people permission to engage with their role and to make suggestions rather than just feeling like they are boxed in and that they're stuck with this uh, job description that they got when they first started working in the yeah. in the business and I suppose because of this the kind of typical structure of work where you have a line manager and then you've got a you know a person who manages your line manager it feels like you're perhaps not in a position of strength as an employee to to make those suggestions but that's why it has to come from the business isn't it as a as a priority I suppose to almost say that that's okay and to give that power to people to almost define what their day-to-day looks like yeah absolutely i think and i think one of the interesting things that people have found through the pandemic and it's a it's a crisis and it's a tragedy in terms of what's happening out there but one of the hopefully the, the silver linings from this is that organizations have been surprised and astounded in terms of a lot of people i've seen in terms of actually how people have just they've trusted them just to get get on with stuff kind of make things work and kind of in back rooms in their kind of kitchen tables and there you know whatever for those having to work remotely and or virtually and they've kind of made it happen and people have they found that actually if they trust people they've just allowed people to to get on with things they can they can do it and i think what we are where we are at the moment is that people have been making do in those kind of arrangements for a certain period of time and it would be fantastic for people to actually explore more earnestly and carefully about saying okay what can we learn from how we've been working in the last six months or seven months in terms of things you've liked, you haven't liked, and how can we kind of build on that and improve on it so that in the future we can have the best of kind of worlds that meet the needs of the individual, but also meet the needs of their colleagues and, and the organisation as well. So I th- I'm hoping it will create a better dialogue and understanding about how we can do things differently. And is there one piece of advice that you could give to organisations and HR directors out there right now who are, who are sort of looking at this space? Is there one piece of advice that they could be doing to to make meaningful progress, given the context of everything that's going on in the, in the wider world? I would ask or give everyone encouragement to think about if they could do an experiment to make their job one percent better tomorrow what would they do and hear from their employees so to listen so to create that space 
and that encouragement to to run some some really small experiments about trying to make their job better and listening from their employees about what they would do if they could or can improve their job and giving employees the 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 genuine sense of encouragement and and enablement to to make those changes because one it's very easy to say it it's very difficult to actually do it if you haven't got the time the energy or the motivation or the buy-in to do it so and i think that's something that we often miss out from an organizational perspective in terms of actually the kind of the true belief um, and support behind some of the kind of the, the, the messages that we that we give to people. So final question, Rob, I'm afraid this is the difficult one. So obviously we ask all of our guests to tell us about a time when they have had to eat humble pie. So um, a mistake you've made, something you've learned from um, that perhaps some of our listeners could, could take something away from. And so my kind of journey has gone from being a consultant to being doing lots of change and transformation and being in, in HR. And one of the things that I had got a, a really good track record for professionally was in terms of um, change and transformation projects. So I was very good at executing in terms of um, developing, kind of working with the organization to develop new structures and then to kind of effectively putting people in those new structures, populating them and and restructuring those those organizations. And very much from my consultancy kind of background, the the idea and approach was that the, the the, the, there was a kind of a right answer for these things that that senior experts or consultants or specialists would be able to design things that would best meet the needs of the organization and what i found over time in terms of my humble pie and i this came to a really stark realization when i was working the project in australia uh, for a large organization was that actually some of the change processes we've done were being done to people rather than done with people and as a consequence of things they were kind of paralyzing and the organization rather than developing change so technically people in new roles and technically the new structures were standing up and doing things but in reality people weren't living and breathing those those new roles and it was because we were not engaging the individuals and something that i was really embarrassed i suppose embarrassed i literally was embarrassed about i remember reading about some case studies around change and transformation and what goes wrong when i was studying my positive psychology and my ears were kind of burning because i was realizing that i was I'd, i'd spent most of my career my professional kind of expertise and credibility doing things in this very traditional top-down controlling way that led to results is what organizations were wanting from me and what something I got a sense of achievement and purpose for. But I realized at the same time, I was actually probably perpetuating problems within organizations rather than unlocking them and unleashing them. So that's kind of, I remember reading about this and my kind of literally feeling a bit sick, if I'm honest with you, but I was kind of realizing what I was, I was part of the problem rather than the solution. So that was my probably humble pie moment and I'm trying to make amends now. Rob listen thank you so much for for joining the podcast today do you want to just tell us what your book is called and where people can can get a copy? Yeah sure so the book is Personalization at Work and it's a guide to bringing job crafting and a personalized touch to life within organizations so it's it's lots of ideas and theories that you can buy it at all good and evil bookstores and <laughs> um, online and in person if you're feeling brave enough to go out and do it and do have a look at our website um, tailoredthinking.co.uk um, for kind of more information about the the work that we do in the book the book as well so there's some links to there from on the website brilliant fantastic thanks rob for joining us uh you're a brilliant guest and i hope to talk to you soon yeah thanks so much really enjoyed it Next up, we actually have our humble review. Um, So this is for anyone that is looking for other things that they can read, listen, watch, or 
you know, just to kind of get you inspired about leadership. And um, this week, I think we have a book recommendation. Is that right, Sarah Collinge? We do have a book recommendation. Yes. Obviously, one of the things that there is lots of time to do at the moment is to read. And so I have been consuming various different leadership books and such. And um, I do have one that might potentially be of interest to our listeners. So has Don't Think of an Elephant. (laughs) Okay. Did you just think of an elephant? I immediately thought of an elephant and then I was like, try and think of a mouse. (laughs) I was trying to think of a mouse. Um, So that's what the book's called. Uh, It's called Don't Think of an Elephant. And actually, I have to put my hands up that this is not necessarily... Well, this was prompted by a recommendation from somebody else. And embarrassingly enough, it was, in fact, Matt Hancock uh, in an interview that he did on uh, Radio 4. He mentioned this book and I thought, I'm going to buy that book and I'm going to give it a read. Um, But it is actually really interesting. So it's called Don't Think of an Elephant and it's by a very intelligent, smart professor of psychology and an academic called George Lakoff. And effectively, it's if you if you say something, then obviously people attach labels to it and then people will immediately think of the thing that you're talking to them about. So he has this kind of amazing example of um, an interview that uh, George Nixon did where he said, I'm not a crook. I don't know if you've seen that interview, has, um, mm. but it is kind of a famous moment where he said that, he, he said, I'm not a crook. And obviously everyone immediately thought he was a crook just because of the fact that he had mentioned it. Right. Similar similar situation to like, you know, when um, sometimes someone sends you an email and, and it says, don't hesitate to contact me if, well, actually the fact that you said the word hesitate makes people hesitate. Hesitate, exactly. I have heard of this. Yeah, I have definitely heard of this before, like in interview, like interview techniques for sure. Yeah, and it's it's just, it's, it's a really fascinating take on kind of communication and how to kind of communicate your intentions by using the the right terminology and avoiding the pitfalls. And, and, and actually, it's kind of a little bit of an insight into how um, the government has managed the whole process of trying to guide people through the lockdown and the types of things that they have said, uh, which have caused the, the opposite behaviour from the public. Um, so it's a really, really fascinating and topical read. And I think for anybody who is in a leadership role, and even for those people who aren't, it's uh there, there are some really really interesting takeaways from from it so that is our humble review for this week amazing well we'll definitely put it in the show notes along with rob baker's book and that is it for another episode you can catch us again very soon we are available to listen to everywhere you would expect spotify apple Podcasts, TuneIn, stitcher google you name it and we are there don't forget to follow us at Don't Cry Wolf Consultancy, um, Instagram, Twitter. We're particularly funny on Twitter. And yeah, if you want to get in touch, um, we always love to hear from you. It's hello at don'tcrywolf.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks. Bye.